Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Chatterjee, joined once again this week by Brianne Deppish. How you doing, Brianne? Hey, Neil. I'm great. It's great to be here. Well, we've got another exciting episode this week. Really pleased to be joined today by Sarah Davis. Sarah is a successful attorney and former state representative for Texas House District 134 in Houston. But she's joining us today because she's been a real leader on climate issues in Texas as a conservative, as a Republican. Sarah, thank you for joining us here on the Plugged In Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about our organization, Clear Skies Texas, and um, all the things that we hope to do, especially as Republican and as Republican women. Yeah, that's what's like really exciting to me. And I know to Brianne as well and why we wanted to have you on. Our listeners know my background. I'm a Republican from Kentucky who worked for Mitch McConnell and was appointed chairman of Burke by Donald Trump. I made very clear early on in my tenure that I believe that climate change was real, that man had a significant impact and that we needed to urgently take steps to mitigate emissions, but that I didn't believe in overreaching regulations or subsidies or mandates and kind of preferred market-based solutions. And I've spent the last couple of years in conservative circles trying to make these arguments. And I think I'm increasingly starting to, to, to have some positive conversations in this regard. And so I was fascinated to learn about about Clear Skies Texas, about this organization, how you all came together and, and, and what you all have been tackling. And so uh, particularly, I think it's so impressive. This is being led by conservative women and would love uh, for you to maybe open up by just giving our listeners some of your background and, and how this organization came to be. Well, sure. So like you mentioned, I um, served in the Texas House of Representatives for a decade. So I, I did five terms from 2011 and two to, until 2021. And honestly, most of my focus during that time was healthcare. I was in charge in the House of, of writing the healthcare budget. And that's really what I focused on. But it was during those years when I was in the legislature and then subsequently leaving that issues regarding climate and the environment, I really just couldn't ignore because being from Houston, you know, I survived Harvey and I was in office and, you know, I, I had thousands and thousands of constituents who lost everything. I watched Apache helicopters going into my neighborhoods, rescuing constituents off the roofs of their houses. Days later, when the water receded, I drove around neighborhoods and witnessed basically the contents of, of the lives of my constituents mucked out and sitting on their driveway. And you just cannot ignore those images and think like, well, I mean, how, how did this happen? And then a few years later, and about, I think it was a little more than a year ago, we had Yuri and the whole state froze. I mean, we had millions of people without power and electricity. Hundreds of people died because they either froze to death or they died of carbon monoxide poisoning because they were burning things in their homes to stay warm and alive. I mean, I watched on TV snowflakes hitting the beaches of Galveston. And so you just can't, as a rational thinking person, at least in my mind, ignore that and think that that's just a happenstance. But there's got to be a reason behind it. I mean, I lived through Hurricane Ike without power for two weeks. I happened to have been in New Orleans when Katrina hit. I have been through so many natural disasters that I ultimately just thought we can't just pretend 
like there's no human or man-made component to this. When I look around in the space regarding climate or the environment, at least in Texas, it's completely dominated by the left. And any discussion about climate by a Republican is almost viewed as some type of anti-oil and gas position, which we certainly are not. You know, oil and gas is the lifeblood of our economy in Texas. I am in Texas because my dad is a petroleum engineer and I'm originally from West Virginia and both of my grandfathers were coal miners. So I have a a history of, of course, in oil and gas, but Republicans don't seem to really want to talk about the issue. And we had done some polling. The Mitchell Foundation here in Houston had had conducted some polling and found that, in fact, self-identified Republicans and left-leaning voters that are women and then younger Republican voters are very concerned about climate change and very concerned about the future that they are going to have for their grandchildren and the next generation. And so after looking at that data, the group of us got together of like bona fide Republican women, and we uh, founded Clear Skies Texas. And it's a organization that's, it's all women, all Republican women. And, you know, our mission is really to try and create a space for conservatives in Texas who are concerned about the environment and climate change to to know that we exist because it seems like at least in Texas, nobody, no Republicans really want to talk about the climate. And I think that's unfortunate because I don't think it's an issue that we should just cede to the Democrats because I think you're right. There's a lot of market-based ideas that we can embrace as opposed to having some top-down government-controlled reorganization or restructure of the economy, basically. And so I think we just, in Texas, we just really wanted to start that dialogue and see where we go from there. Absolutely. Sarah, thanks so much for being here with us. I'm really impressed to see all the cool work that you guys are doing over at Clear Skies Texas. And I'm curious to know, why do you think it's so important for women to lead in this space? In Texas, to be honest with you, we are the backbone of the Republican Party. It is women that are actually doing all the work in campaigns. We're all the block walkers. We do all the phone banking and we're sending the postcards like we're running the headquarters. We do all of the work. And as a result of that, I think that when Republican women decide on priority issues, the legislature, Republican members of the legislature have to listen to us because in large part, we are running, you know, the back operations of all of their campaigns. And so I think that we have that advantage. If we're doing the action, then they need to listen to our voice. But also, we just don't see, I just don't see any men taking leadership uh, on this issue. And so, you know, in Texas, I mean, women get things done. We see a problem. We're going to try and work and figure it out. And that doesn't just include Republican women. I think in the Texas legislature, we have a pretty good history of really trying to work in a bipartisan way. Because I'm not really interested in like alienating Democrats. I want to find consensus. And ultimately, I think in terms of climate change, that's what we really should be ultimately working on is a bipartisan based approach and building consensus. We can't get there if Republicans just want to bury their heads in the sand. 
Yeah, I think it cuts both ways. First off, in terms of women getting things done in Texas, I was an aide in the U.S. Senate when Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison was there. And you want to talk about a powerhouse who got things done. She was just fantastic and, and such a tremendous leader and asset for Texas. But to your point about, you know, both sides need to engage. I do think you are correct that, look, there's a real business case to be made for clean energy and Republicans should be embracing it. And Republicans in Texas in particular Texas is picking California's pocket almost every single day. You see big businesses leaving California to come to Texas because of the more favorable regulatory environment and tax environment. But part of the draw is that Texas is a renewable energy superpower. And I feel like Republicans should totally embrace that. But you made a really interesting point earlier when you stated that, you know, climate change in Texas is kind of seen as an issue of the left. And I think that's a huge miscalculation. It wasn't always that way. You know, John McCain was the Republican nominee for president in 2008. He was an author of a cap and trade bill. Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee for president in 2012. He's openly calling for a price on carbon today. It wasn't always viewed as an issue of the left, but I think the left has made a miscalculation in that they've done things like we had an earlier guest on the podcast, uh, former Congressman Carlos Curbelo of Florida. He was the lead author of a carbon mitigation bill in the U.S. House of Representatives. And he got defeated in his election and all the environmental groups backed his opponent because of his position on health care. And I'm sitting here like, if you can't support the one Republican that's out there advocating on your issues because of his position on health care, which you environmental groups should have no stake in, how are you ever going to get other Republicans to trust that you'll ever support them? And so I, one of the reasons I think your organization is so great is like, we need folks out there supporting Republicans who are willing to kind of engage on these issues. I've seen in Kentucky firsthand in the heart of coal country that as economic forces change things and new companies come in, you're seeing more Kentuckians open to a future beyond coal and looking to a cleaner energy opportunities. Are you seeing you know, any impact in Texas? Like are Republican Texans, conservative Texans in particular, are we, are we gaining some traction and, and seeing folks more willing to engage on these issues? I think it's a hard road right now in Texas. I think that most people, most Texans, especially Republicans and Democrats really don't want to talk about it, but like we are the leader of wind energy in the nation. Like we produce more wind energy than any other state and our solar industry is just exploding. So we are, because of our topography and because Texas is so massive, you know, we have so many opportunities for renewables, but we don't hear Republicans talking about it. And I was a little disappointed when the uh, winter storm Uri came and froze Texas. And unfortunately, Republican leadership, like from the governor, they were blaming renewables. They were saying renewables failed, renewables failed. But we know it was natural gas, right, that failed. The, the facilities froze and they weren't weatherized. So I honestly think it's a little bit of an uphill battle for us in Texas. But I think the more that we can talk about it and the more that we can get exposure like with Clear Skies Texas, I think that can help. But, you know, we've got Elon Musk, right? He's relocating all of his facilities to Texas and he's obviously concerned about the environment and we're excited about that. But it is it is a little bit difficult in Texas, but I do hope and I I do think it can change. We just need to talk about it more and we need Republicans to feel safe to talk about it. And I think the way we get there is through groups 
like ours, that if we can build and show a base of support, then that gives some cover or some comfort for Republicans to at least have an open mind about the issue. And what you said about these environmental groups, I told this story before, there are different environmental groups, you know, they give scorecards out, they give you like an A or a B or a C based on your voting history. Well, my last session, my mother got very sick. So for the last week, I had to leave to take care of her. And I had a Democrat counterpart whose husband was very ill. And so she also missed the last session. So I received an F from this particular environmental group based on votes that I never took because I was absent. And my Democrat colleague who also missed the same votes got an A. So there was just no in between. It was just like, if you are a Republican, you do not care about the environment. And I just think that that is a miscalculation, like you said, for the Democrats, because we know based on our polling, there are a lot of Republicans and right-leaning folks in Texas that very much care about the environment. And, you know, sometimes it just takes a little convincing. My my husband is a, is a little bit of, um, you know, not a climate denier, but he likes to have a, a healthy debate on it. But what he can never answer to me is when I explain to him how insurance companies, the underwriters for uh, property, but, you know, when they're uh, writing policies for property, they are including climate change in when they're evaluating potential lots. And since we're both insurance defense attorneys, he can't, he doesn't know what to say. So I've said the insurance companies, they're out to make money and they're certainly not controlled by the left. So if major industries like the insurance industry, property casualty insurance companies are hedging their bets, assuming that there could be a climate-based disaster. And so they're underwriting for that potential. That's something to take seriously. And that's not deniable. I mean, that's just the fact. That's what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask about your background in insurance and how it kind of informed you and got you where you were today, you know, and becoming one of the leaders in Texas on kind of embracing climate change within the Republican policy area. So I'm an attorney and I'm an insurance defense attorney, but I defend people and businesses that are sued. They have insurance. And so their insurance companies pay my bills, even though I represent the businesses themselves. But really what caught my attention about this issue was because I served on the insurance committee in the legislature because of my background as an insurance defense lawyer. I think the speaker put me on that committee. And that's really where I learned how much the insurance industry does, in fact, take into consideration climate change and the disasters or the consequences that climate change can have when they are underwriting and writing policies. Pivoting a little bit, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's kind of remarkable, actually, you're, you're like a magnet for natural disasters that you lived through Harvey, Katrina, Yuri. Uh, Saddened that you went through that, but it's fortunate that you came through all. Sometimes it takes devastating tragedies to kind of shift the political zeitgeist around an issue. We're seeing right now in Texas in the aftermath of just horrific school shooting, you've got Senator John Cornyn at the table having a constructive conversation with Democrats about guns. In the aftermath of Yuri, did you see a little bit of that in Texas or Harvey? Like, did it take that kind of tragic event to to kind of move the needle on these kinds of policies? Or is there still just a lot more work that needs to be done? Unfortunately, I would say there's just a lot more work that needs to be done. The aftermath of Harvey, the focus was really just about fighting over dollars, fighting over federal dollars and 
creating new pots of money for state dollars. The big issue following URI was the grid. I don't know if you know this, but Texas is, has its own grid. So we're not connected to any other grid. So we were unable to like basically get power from any other states because Texas does not want to have any kind of federal involvement in our business. <laughs> we're a very independent-minded state. So the legislature focused mostly on the grid and not really on the fact that we had snow on the beaches of Galveston and just the whole state froze and why did the whole state freeze? So those issues were really not considered. But you're right. I mean, you are seeing in wake of the Uvalde shooting, what appears to be some bipartisan discussions. And ultimately, I just think that's what most Americans want for any issue is bipartisan solutions. And they want, I think people want to think that their government, whether it's their city, their state or their federal are working together. I mean, we're not all going to agree on everything. But I always said, I kind of think that Democrats want the same things I do. We just have different ways of getting there. But that doesn't mean that there's not a place that we can't find and, and compromise on. But it's just compromises become like this enemy word in politics. But when I was in the House, I never wanted to pass legislation that only Republicans supported. I always wanted everybody to vote for my bill. I wanted Republicans and Democrats. And I think that's what most people want. I think that's a, we'd have a better shot if we could build consensus on something like climate change. And that's how you get durable solutions. When you don't have bipartisan consensus, it gets messy. I get frustrated. I think too often people try and simplify these issues. And like right after Yuri happened, it's like everyone viewed it through their immediate partisan fuel source lens, right? So if you were anti-renewable, you were saying, ah, solar didn't show up and the windmills froze. If you're anti-fossil fuels, you were, well, the gas wellheads froze up and the coal piles froze. And heck, even nuclear proponents were saying there was a nuclear plant outside of Houston that tripped off and questions about Texas's market design. And I'm like, guys, everyone pump the brakes. Like, this was a really complicated scenario. Texas's grid, which the legislature fo uh, focused on, is built to design extreme heat in the summer. This was an unexpected cold weather event. And the reality is there are steps you can take to prepare your grid for a cold winter that actually come back to bite you if you have a really, really hot summer. And so I just wish people would kind of step back, take their black and white positions out and understand that there's a lot of complex gray in here. But one yeah. of the things about, about your organization that I think is so cool is like, you've got some real power players at the table. You've got a powerhouse executive director, a really diverse board of some pretty big time folks within conservative circles in Texas. Can you kind of give our, our listeners a sense of who is really driving this train in Texas? Yeah, well, like for starters, we have a woman named Carolyn Hodges, who is the former president of the Texas Federation of Republican Women. So in Texas, we have a lot of Republican women's clubs. And I don't know if that's the same in other states, but I'm a member of uh, several different clubs, but she was the statewide president of all the, the clubs. So that's a pretty powerful and bold statement to have her on our board. Mia McCord, who is president of the 
Texas Conservative Coalition Research Institute in Austin, Texas, which is a Republican or a conservative think tank, as you would say. We have Becky Klein, who was a former chair or of the um, of the PUC appointed by the governor. Little me, I'm a former state representative. Sue Walden, who is Congressman Dan Crenshaw's district director, she's on our board. And, you know, we're really excited about that, too, because Congressman Crenshaw has um, apparently been active in this space. And so we're hoping that we can have some future events with him. And I know we're looking, we're working on a virtual event and working on some speakers now. So if anyone who is interested in participating or watching, we definitely would encourage you to come to our website and sign up so we can keep you up to date. I mean, I know there are more that members, Courtney, tell me who I'm missing. Um, well, you'd mentioned earlier our chair, Julie Moore with Oxy Petroleum, and then Mary Schneider as well is on the board, and she has worked for all the Republicans out there. Mary Schneider is in Houston, and she's just an institution. She worked for Congressman Culberson for years and years, and just... It's a lovely, lovely Republican activist that we couldn't get things done in Houston without Mary. But it's just a lot of really great women. And and, and that's what drew me actually to the board at first was seeing how like these like extremely powerful, very cool, knowledgeable Republican women that were willing to put their name and their reputation on this organization gave me like I was honored, but a lot of confidence too, to be a part of such an esteemed group of women. We are clearskiestexas.com. So House Republicans just introduced a climate change bill this week. Can you talk about encouraging efforts you've seen within the party to kind of embrace climate issues and embrace talking about them more really recently? On the state level, we haven't really seen very much. You know, the Texas legislature meets only once every other year for 140 days. So it's a very compressed amount of time. And Republicans recently seem to be focused very much on more conservative social issues here in Texas. But like I said, I I, I know that Congressman Crenshaw is involved in the, the Climate Caucus. And we've been getting some letters. So we're learning more about what they're doing on the on the federal level. But we're still kind of in an education phase and growth phase ourselves. It's a good jumping off point for my next question. Can you tell me about what are some of the hurdles that you guys faced in trying to really stand up a brand new organization? It's very hard to get all of the women on the board together at once because everybody's so busy. We took a while to find our executive director because we really wanted to make sure we had a great woman to lead the organization, which we were so lucky that we did to get Courtney. One of the hurdles I've noticed is just like, there's so much political going on, whether it's overturning Roe v. Wade or it's the January 6th committee hearings. It's hard to break through the noise because it seems like every week there's some other major political issue that's dominating everybody's discussion. It's been hard to sort of break through and say like, hello, we're here. There's Republicans that don't deny climate change, but that just takes work and we're happy to do it. 
Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining Brianna and I this week on the Plugged In Podcast. And I will note, did turn to Courtney as well, the executive director. Appreciate you both. Here on the Plugged In Podcast, we like to have deep, substantive discussions on the energy issues of the day. But we also like to end with something light about our guests. And while we've been recording this on audio, I will note we're on Zoom so that we can make eye contact. And I've noticed some dogs coming in and out of the screen. What's going on here? Who do you you got in the room with you? I have Barrett, who is like a Yorkie mix, and Rose, who is a poodle mix. They have Rose as a COVID adoption. You know, everybody got dogs during COVID. So she's not used to other people. So anytime anyone comes to the house, she gets very insecure. And we have a ranch. And so they enjoy going to the ranch. And I was just, I meant to apologize at the top of the show about last week because we lost our internet connection out there. I always love to point out to people, I was the head of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. My good friend Ajit Pai was the chair of the Federal Communications Commission. I always joke with him, the difference in culture around reliability. If the electricity goes out for even five minutes, people lose their minds. But if telecom goes out, we just kind of roll with it. Like, ah, we'll we'll manage. So I always give Ajit a hard time. But I'm glad you had those dogs to get you through COVID and and to run around the ranch. Really appreciate everything you're doing. I hope that you can inspire other conservative women to really step up and be players in the energy space. One of the things I recognized during my time at FERC is that, sadly, there is a limited pool of senior female leaders in the energy space. And we need to change that. We need to encourage the next generation in particular to step up. That's why I love doing the podcast with Brianne, because she's out there kind of leading in, in in journalism on energy issues, and we need more of that. And so I was just super excited that you uh, came on the podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, Courtney. It's been a pleasure as always, Neil. Thank you for your really thoughtful question. It really does seem like there's a lot of cool opportunities for women in this space. I think it's a great, a great time to be here. And Sarah, really cool to see all of the things that Clear Skies Texas is doing. Well, thank y'all so much for having us. We really appreciate it because... Like I said, it's a battle in Texas. And so we're so grateful to have allies and people that we can look to and support and help support us. So thank y'all so much. Thanks again for listening to season two of the Plugged In podcast. New episodes will be available on Tuesdays at noon Eastern time. You can also keep up with all things energy by following the Washington Examiner on all of our social media channels and subscribing to the Daily on Energy newsletter written by yours truly, Jeremy Beeman.